And as we're about to get into the book of 1 Samuel, I think it might be worth uh, you taking some time. You don't have to do this, of course, but if you want to try to pull together in your mind the story that's been unfolding through the Bible, I think after the book of Ruth, it would be good to maybe try to take 15 minutes just with your Bible, just an open Bible, and, and maybe sit down with somebody, uh, maybe a friend, child, uh, uh, anybody really. doesn't They don't have to know much of anything about the Bible, or they could. It doesn't really matter uh, for this. But you, you open up in Genesis and try to walk through the main story of the Bible from the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Ruth. What, what do you think you would want to highlight? I think that the, the right time for that, you know, just for a nice conversation for you to aim for might be about 15 minutes. Walking from Genesis, kind of tracing these promises, you know, after the, the curse and the fall, or the fall and the curse, you know, to the promises of God, especially about the seed that would come, and, and kind of see if you can tell that story from Genesis to the end of the book of Ruth in about 15 minutes. I think it'd be a good exercise uh, for you to try. Now, another thing that I want to do right now is I want to go back, since we're about to go into 1 Samuel, and I, I want to try to get you to think, and I'll, I'll show you some of this, uh, where have we seen the idea of a coming king so far in the Bible? Like, what does the Bible have to say about kings or about a coming king? Uh, so so I, want to, I want to chase back, all the way back in our minds to to the book of Genesis. Where do we first see that God might want to raise up a king? Now, there are some references to kings uh, back, I think, as early as Genesis 14. You remember uh, there was this battle of four kings against five kings, and then there's this kind of like unexpected out of nowhere king that showed up uh, called Melchizedek, the, the king of Salem. Uh, but the first time that we actually see like a promise that there will be a king who will come is actually back in Genesis uh, chapter 17. Genesis 17, this is in the promises to Abraham. Uh, we see for the first time that not just will Abraham have great numbers of offspring, but God says in Genesis 17 verse 6 at the end, I'll make you, Abraham, into nations and kings will come from you. And then later in the same chapter, uh, God talks about Sarah. He changes her name from Sarai to Sarah and says in verse 16, this is chapter 17, verse 16 of Genesis, I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And so you start to see this idea that a king will come. And, and there's some other references maybe as well in Genesis, but it culminates at the end of the book of Genesis in Genesis 49. Do you remember that? Genesis 49, uh, verses 8 through 11. Do you remember what's happening? How Judah, uh, well, actually, first of all, Jacob is sitting around as an old man with his 12 sons, and he is telling them about things that will happen in the latter days. And in Genesis 49, verse 8, he looks at Judah and he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. And we've, we've been in this text before, but Genesis 49, verse 10, Jacob says, and it's a prophecy, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him, to this coming king who will hold the scepter, to him will be the obedience of all the peoples. Then you could go through uh, and read through the next 
you know, books and, and you wouldn't really see a lot more development about this coming king until maybe you get all the way to Numbers 24. And it comes through this unexpected prophet. Remember, he was actually an, an evil prophet in many ways, but he did speak the words of the Lord. Do you remember him? That guy named Balaam, the guy who was hired to curse Israel, but he could never curse Israel. He could only bless Israel. Well, in Numbers uh, 24, we get one of the oracles of that guy, Balaam. One of these promises, one of these predictions, there's actually four different uh, oracles from Balaam, but the one that I would highlight would be in Numbers 24, uh, verse, verses 3 and following. Balaam is, is talking about how awesome Israel is, how God's hand is on Israel, how God has rescued uh, Israel out of Egypt. And it says in Numbers 24, verse 7, uh, in, the, in the middle, it says, His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. And then you see down in verse 9, He crouched like, he crouched, he lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? And, and there you see, and then later in Numbers 24, verse uh, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab. And then down in verse 19, and one from Jacob will exercise dominion. And so you see it back there, and then you see, and we haven't looked at this text from what I remember, in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20, you could go and read that sometime, in Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20, where God lays out guidelines and rules and laws for what, for who the king needs to be, and for what kind of king he needs to be, and even specific things about how the king needs to write out the words of the law, and so he can meditate and read that law day and night so that he can be the kind of humble, faithful king that God wants to raise up over his people. So all of this is to say that from the first book of the Bible, God has always had it on his heart to, to raise up a king who will exercise dominion. And you see it from Abraham and Sarah, and then it's going to be from Judah. You even see this prophecy from Balaam that he sees this coming king from Israel who will exercise dominion and crush the heads of his enemies. And then you get to the book of Judges, right? And you go through the end of the book of Judges and you keep seeing and hearing in those days there was no king in Israel and it's absolute chaos and you're like, we need that king to come. And then you read the book of Ruth and you end the book of Ruth and it says that it draws your attention twice to this man named David from the tribe of Judah, from Bethlehem of Judah, this son David, an offspring of Ruth and Boaz, from Obed, his father Jesse, to David. And, and, and you think, okay, the stage is set, right, as we come in to 1 Samuel. And you open up the book of 1 Samuel, and you're, you're drawn to, to another woman. So you, you read uh, the story of Ruth, and then you come into 1 Samuel, and you read the story of a, of a lady named Hannah. And, and it starts really by talking about uh, her husband. Her husband uh, was Elkanah, and he had two wives. And uh, pretty much that never goes well uh, in the Bible or at any other time. Uh, this is not God's will. So, but Elkanah has, has two wives, 
The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2. And Peninnah had kids, and Hannah was barren. Wasn't able to have any kids. And again, this is not the first time we've found a barren woman. This has happened repeatedly, and this all goes back to the curse uh, in, in, in the garden, that it would be through great difficulty that that woman would be able to have offspring, but yet we know our hope is only an offspring, in the offspring of the woman. And now it's going to tell you a story, okay? And, and it's and uh, basically, here's the story. So Hannah uh, is not able to have any kids, and Peninnah is, and so she kind of makes life miserable for Hannah. But, El- but Elkanah really likes uh, Hannah, and so uh, he wants to take good care of her, and so he loves to give her like twice as much food. That's kind of the thing that he can do for her. This is in First uh, Samuel 1, verse 5. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. But her rival used to provoke her a lot because the Lord had closed her womb. And so Hannah wept and she wouldn't eat. And so Elkanah, her husband, you know, kind of goes to Hannah to try to give her some comfort. And uh, we learn uh, something of what not to do uh, through this. So uh, this is in verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why don't you eat? You know, because he's given her two, two times as much food. Why don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Uh, uh, interestingly, uh, there's, no, there's no response uh, to that question uh, in, in the Bible. And I think we probably don't need a response to know how that went over uh, for uh, Hannah. So she leaves that encouraging uh, conversation uh, with her husband. And she goes and she goes to Shiloh where the house of God is. And there's this priest, and we're introduced to this guy named Eli, and he's sitting on the seat uh, near the entrance to the to the temple of the Lord. And Hannah comes in uh, to this uh, to this house of God, and she wants to pour out her heart to God about this. She's so distressed uh, over what's happening in her life and not being able to have children, and she vows a vow, saying, basically, Lord, if if you'll if you'll give me a son, I'll I'll dedicate him to you all the days of his life. Uh, and, and she's there praying, and she's praying silently, just pouring out her heart to the Lord. And, and Eli, the high priest over the people of God, sees her there in the temple. And what does he conclude? Uh, this maybe gives you an idea of what the spiritual condition is uh, in Israel. Uh, this says in verse 13, 1 Samuel 1, 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, her voice wasn't heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. And so this is really encouraging. These are two guys who are not understanding Hannah at all. And, and she basically says, look, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm here pouring out my heart before the Lord. And Eli says, look, God's going to give you what you're asking for. And they, sure thing, uh, she goes and she does have a son. And God does open uh, her womb. Uh, This is down in verses 19 and 20 of 1 Samuel 1. And she calls his name Samuel because she says, I've asked for him from the Lord. And so she starts to raise Samuel And when it's time, when he's been weaned, she fulfills her vow. And so we're drawn to this woman, Hannah, 
and her faithfulness and she loves the Lord and, and she's poured out her heart and God's given her the barren woman a son. And, and now that her son is weaned, she wants to fulfill her vow and she wants to take him down and dedicate him to serve the Lord in the temple. And so this is in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse down at verse 25, they slaughter a bull and they bring the child to Eli, to the high priest. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord. Uh, and, and she's talking about my, my master. She's, she's respectful towards Eli. She says, I'm the, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's lent to the Lord. And notice what your text says. I mean, Samuel's only got to be a couple years old. And he worshipped the Lord there. I think, wow. Who, who worshipped the Lord there? Because you might think it would say she, but it, it seems to say, and, and I mean, at least it says in our text here, and he, and he which, which seems to be referring not to Eli, and not to, certainly not to Hannah, to, to the boy, to this really young boy, Samuel. He worshipped the Lord there. And you think, wow, uh, our attention's being drawn to this son from this barren woman who's a worshiper of the Lord, even in his early days. I think, wow, I wonder where he got that from. I think he got that from his mother. <laughs> you know, you know how, why I think that? Look at not just what we've seen already about Hannah, but look at what happens in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, which I, which I think is like the key to understanding the next four books of the Bible. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. It's this song, this prayer from Hannah. She responds by breaking forth in praise to the Lord. Let's look at it. 1st Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And then think of what she had, what she grasps about God. This gives us a, like a lens to look through the rest of the next four books for, for what is God like and what kind of people does God work in and what does God do? And, and she says, there is none holy like the Lord, none besides you, no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And you get all of this stuff about the reversal of expectations that those who are proud and mighty, God brings to the ground. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol to the grave and he raises up. He makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. You think, wow, this, she gets God. She understands God. She's a worshiper of God. But I, what I really want you to see is the end of the song of Hannah. And it's here that we'll tie it in to what we've talked about in this, in this lesson. 1 Samuel 2 verse 9. 
God will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the power of his anointed. She ends the song after thinking about God and how he works and how he, the, how he raises up the humble out of the dust. She then points us, and the book points us to this truth that God will raise up a king and he will exalt the power of his anointed one, which is the word in Hebrew for the word Messiah. And this is the first time that we see that God raising up a king and giving strength to a king will be God raising up an anointed one, a Messiah. The story of Hannah leads us to the song of Hannah, which points us to the truth that God is going to raise up a king, a Messiah, an anointed one who will reign and rule seemingly for God to the ends of the earth. And we don't just know that that's going to happen. Her song gives us something to look for. What do we need to see in that king? He's not going to be a king who's going to maybe look like a king, who's going to be proud and lofty. No, maybe he's someone that God's going to raise up out of the dust, someone who's going to be a nobody, but humble in heart, someone that you wouldn't think would look like a king. Maybe that's the kind of king, the kind of Messiah that God wants to lift up to rule. Thank you.